Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to the Healthy Gut Podcast with Rebecca Coombs, the place where you can learn how to achieve a happy, healthy gut. Here's what's coming up on today's show. Welcome to episode 100 of the Healthy Gut Podcast. A hundred episodes. I actually can't believe it. When I set out to do the Healthy Gut Podcast three years ago, It was really off the back of me attending my very first SIBO symposium in Portland, Oregon, and I learnt so much information listening to all of the doctors speak at that conference that I realised that there was just so much power to be shared by sharing knowledge, sharing wisdom with each other. And there weren't any SIBO podcasts in existence at that time. So I flew back to Australia with the very clear intention to start sharing knowledge with other people with SIBO so that they too could arm themselves with that information and start taking their own health into their own hands and really becoming advocates for their own health journey. And so it's quite fitting that today we almost circle back to where I started and we talk all about food. The very first thing that happened to me when I discovered I had SIBO was that I was told I had to follow a SIBO diet. And as a foodie, as someone who loves to cook and loves to eat, that was a really overwhelming prospect particularly because I was given a handout of the biphasic diet in its original form. It has gone through some updates since then. And I was told, follow this list and you'll be eating like this for at least three months, if not longer. Now, when you're handed a list and you think, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? How am I going to eat like this? It can be really, really overwhelming. And I knew that if I was overwhelmed and I'm a really confident cook, I love creating recipes. I actually love the challenge of coming up with a dish from scratch, just with ingredients I've got to hand. So if I felt overwhelmed, the person who isn't confident in the kitchen must have been totally freaking out. And so that's why I wrote the world's first SIBO cookbook, SIBO summer cookbook, and then went on to write a couple more SIBO cookbooks. And it's really lovely that there are now other people out there writing SIBO cookbooks so that there are more cookbooks available to those of you following a SIBO diet. I get asked all the time, 
you know, what's a SIBO diet? When should I follow a diet? When shouldn't I follow a diet? And I thought, you know, I've never done a podcast just on this topic, just me talking about my own experience. Uh, Particularly now I've coached hundreds of people from around the world. Um, I can really bring some great insight into the diet piece of SIBO treatment and what I've seen work, what I've seen doesn't work and how I think we need to really modify and tailor any nutritional protocol to our own unique requirements. So let's start at the start. What is a SIBO diet and why would we even need to consider it? Well, if we think about SIBO being an overgrowth of bacteria or archaea, if you've got intestinal methanogen overgrowth, and that bacteria or archaea is living in the wrong spot. It's living in the small intestine, but it's still doing its little bacteria job. And that is to ferment food as it comes past to grab it, go "Mm, yummy, eat and digest that food. Um, That's its job to do that. And in turn, create gas as a byproduct of the fermentation of that food. And yet when it's living in our small intestine and it's set up camp in the wrong camping zone, then it's still doing its little bacteria job, but just in the wrong place. And so we get these terrible symptoms. Some people have mild symptoms. Some people have excruciating and debilitating symptoms, but we're still getting this bacteria producing this gas, which causes a whole heap of problems. So what we're wanting to do through the diet and also other killing phase treatments is we want to reduce the amount of fuel that the bacteria has to consume, but we also want to kill it. We want to get it gone and move it along and um, help rebalance the small intestine and the large intestine so that our colonies are in a much kind of a better state that we've got a better balance of the little critters that are living there and that our gut lining can also heal. There are only a couple of diets that have been developed specifically with SIBO in mind. However, there are many diets that are followed by people. And I think it's really important for you to pause and think about the role diet plays and whether it's right for you. I probably say this, you know, 50 times to 100 times a week with my coaching, through my group sessions, through my five-week challenge uh, group sessions, for instance, and you know, just through conversations I'm having uh, on a regular basis. SIBO and a SIBO diet does not cure SIBO. I'll repeat that. A SIBO diet does not cure SIBO. It is there to help calm down our symptoms. It's like pouring gasoline on an already established fire. So let's think of a big bonfire. We've already got the fuel there where it's already burning. And yet if we throw some gasoline over the top, it just kind of makes it bigger, makes it worse, makes it a more intense fire. And that's what food is doing to our symptoms. The SIBO is already there. The failings have already occurred in our small intestine. Food hasn't done that. But if we go and eat a really high sugar or high carbohydrate diet, 
then we're just adding that fuel to the fire. We're just allowing there to be more fuel for the bacteria to make our symptoms worse. And that's why we look to temporarily, in a very short term, restrict those easy fuels, that easy carbohydrate load and sugar load from the gut so that the bacteria don't have as much fuel to digest and to work with. But SIBO is caused by a motility issue. So that means the small intestine does not work well enough to push the food and the matter through and onwards into the large intestine. It can also be a structural issue. So structurally, something has changed. The anatomy of the intestine has changed, and that can be through adhesions. You might have had surgery, that you might even have um, an accident or an injury that has occurred to cause damage to the structural integrity. And then there's a, there's a lesser known issue like a frank immune deficiency disorder where the immune system is just completely out of sorts and it's not working. But I see in my coaching practice that it is structural or it is the motility of the small intestine. And I have people say, oh gosh, you know, I went out and I had burgers and fries and my SIBO came back. No, it didn't. The burger and the fries did not make your SIBO come back. I bet you, you already had your SIBO there. What it did do though, is it poured gasoline on the fire. It exacerbated the symptoms to a point where you felt them. And then you're like, oh gosh, my SIBO has returned. Well, it returned because the underlying cause or causes have not been rectified either because they can't be, or because you haven't yet identified what they are or your practitioner um, and yourself are still working through them. And the underlying cause or causes is still present and it's still allowing the slowness, the sluggishness and the return of that overgrowth of bacteria to occur. Food literally just makes us more aware that it's there because if we eat a carbohydrate meal, um, a high carbohydrate meal, we feed the bacteria, the bacteria do their little bacteria job, they produce gas, we then go, oh, I'm so bloated and I feel terrible, and then we're aware of the symptoms. So is a SIBO diet good for everybody? Well, the answer to that is no. And there's a few people that should perhaps focus on other aspects rather than going into a SIBO diet. And a really important community of people who need to be quite honest with themselves and their practitioners are those who are disordered in their approach to food, either through a recognized eating disorder or perhaps no one's ever identified that you are disordered in the way you approach food but perhaps you recognize that you are you use food in a very controlling manner food you can be used as reward or punishment um, you feel very negative towards food and it might not be the right time for you to then go into a restricted diet that restricted diet might exacerbate that negative relationship you already have with food and so it's really important that you're honest and aware of what's going on with you psychologically uh, because what I do see sadly all too often are particularly women but some men as well 
that they have gone into a restricted diet, they've taken it to the nth degree and then they're stuck and they're even more terrified of food than they were when they started. And the process to bring food back into their diet is really hard. And when we remember that the SIBO diet does not treat SIBO, perhaps a person that is struggling with food and their relationship with food would be better off focusing on a killing phase and a gut healing protocol and perhaps some psychological support than worrying about whether they've had one asparagus spear or three asparagus spears. Now, I speak from experience in this. I come from a disordered eating background. I had bulimia as a teenage girl. And it was only actually in very recent times that I went, oh, I think I have got a disordered approach to food. If you'd like to learn more about eating disorders and disordered approaches to food, check out episode 71 from season two. I interviewed Diane Ryan about this subject. And it was actually that interview when I had my light bulb moment and went, oh my gosh, I'm really disordered when it comes to food. Food is punishment. Food is reward. Food is if you're a good girl or a bad girl and everything in between. And that's not the job of food. Food is there to nourish and to support our body. So do check it out if that is ringing some bells for you. I also um, encourage you to seek out the support of a qualified and experienced psychologist or counsellor or um, a psychiatrist who deals specifically with eating disorders and disordered eating. If this is triggering for you and you're like, this is me, please get the support. That's what I've gone and done and it has been enormously helpful to help me reestablish a better relationship with food. And sometimes what we need to do is step away from the diets, step away from food lists, step away from counting foods and measuring foods and writing about foods and, and all the rest and having a break from all of it. The other group of people who may not be best on a SIBO diet are those people who are severely underweight. Because going into a restricted protocol is restricted, as the name suggests, and it may actually be, be more beneficial for them just to eat what they can eat and perhaps to work with somebody who is more skilled in helping their gut recover from perhaps suspected food intolerances or sensitivities, chemical sensitivities. We see that very commonly with SIBO um, folk. Things like amines, histamine, salicylates, oxalates, uh, etc. And there may be more benefit from working with someone who can help your body calm down from this intense reaction to food rather than you just going on to a different SIBO diet. Now, take a listen to episode 97 with Sandra Tengay. I talk all about this subject. She's somebody that specializes in food sensitivities, food reintroduction, and she can really help um, guide people like yourself back into eating a broader diet. So given that a SIBO diet does not treat SIBO, what does well, take a listen to episodes 83 and 84, where I interviewed Dr. Alison Seebecker 
about hydrogen dominant SIBO and methane dominant SIBO or IMO as it's now known. And she goes through the treatment options that are suitable for those two types of SIBO. And that's where you can learn all about, you know, the best ways to treat this condition. Diet is very much therapeutic support. It's there to help you feel good or feel better while you treat the SIBO, bring the overgrowth down, and then ideally get to a point where you're able to eat a lot more food. A SIBO diet is intentionally a short-term solution. It is very much a Band-Aid. It is not designed to be followed for life. And at the most, a SIBO diet should be followed for a maximum of six months. And I know that for some of you who are listening, you're like, oh my gosh, I've been doing this for four years or longer. Six months is the maximum amount of time we should be following this diet. The reason for that is that these diets are restrictive in nature, specifically to restrict the fuel of the bacteria in the small intestine. But guess what? It's also restricting that fuel and the fuel load for the bacteria in the large intestine. And that's where we have trillions of bacteria who are desperately wanting food. And what we don't want to do is inadvertently starve out colonies of bacteria in the large intestine, sometimes making them go extinct and then being in a worse position because we have not fed the rest of the body well enough during our SIBO treatment phase. When I went through my SIBO treatment, I did not think about my large bowel. I was fixated on my small intestine. I didn't think about the diversity of the bacteria living within my body. I just thought about these damned bacteria that were overgrown in my small intestine and the cause of all my gut issues. These days, I take a very different approach. I actually take a whole body health approach. I try not to do SIBO treatments unless absolutely necessary. And I might do one treatment maybe once a year when my relapse occurs and if I find my symptoms get really bad. The rest of the time, I am eating for health. So I'm eating for diversity. I'm trying to eat as many different plant-based foods as possible and I'm eating for my broader microbiome. Now, if you would like to keep track of how many different plant-based foods you're eating to get a sense of where you are today and where you'd like to get to, download my plant-based food tracker. It's a free download as part of the links on today's show notes. Uh, So just head to thehealthygut.com and forward slash podcast to go straight to the podcast page or look on the show notes page on today's episode and you can click the link to download that. So that's a really great place to start to see, well, how many different plant-based foods do you eat today and how many different colors are you eating? Because the colors are really important. We want everything, all the colors of the rainbow, as well as as many different varieties of foods as we can possibly tolerate. And even when we're following a SIBO diet, we can still aim to get diversity, A SIBO diet isn't like a monoculture. We're not supposed to only eat one thing in a SIBO diet. And we definitely want to eat the plant-based foods that we can tolerate today, tomorrow, and in the future. So let us talk about the different types of diets that there are, 
which ones are designed specifically for SIBO and which ones are designed more generally, but can be followed by a SIBO person. That's a good question, hey? I've got loads more just like this coming up after this break. We'll be back in a moment. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So let us talk about the different types of diets that there are, which ones are designed specifically for SIBO and which ones are designed more generally, but can be followed by a SIBO person. And if you'd like to see all of this written down, I've also got a really useful blog on my website around the best diets for SIBO. So head to thehealthygut.com forward slash blog and you'll be able to see it there. And again, I've got that linked in my show notes. Dr. Alison Seebecker, one of the leading SIBO doctors, developed a um, food list, the SIBO-specific food guide, as a direct response to the fact that she'd been working with patients, many, many patients, and often she dealt with the more um, complex or chronic cases where people were really struggling with food. So she took the low FODMAP diet and combined it with the SCD diet, this specific carbohydrate diet, and then she put it into columns. So what was the least likely offender that went into a green column through to something that was perhaps a little bit more moderate and that was in an amber column through to a more challenging food, which is in a red column. Now, Don't let that traffic light system make you think you can never eat a red food or that you can't eat a red column food when you're on a SIBO diet. You can. And there are many people that can totally tolerate those foods without symptoms. That color code is really just your guide of where to start. And particularly if you're in a really big flare to, to hang out with the green column foods more than you do with the red column foods. And then to test and measure how your body responds to the amber and the red column foods because they're higher in fermentable carbohydrates and perhaps a little bit more challenging for the average SIBO person. Dr. Narala Jacobi then took Dr. Alison Seebecker's protocol and turned it into the SIBO biphasic diet. Dr. Jacoby is German from descent and she loves rules and regulations. And so she wanted to have a bit more structure to the diet. So she then took it and said, okay, well, phase one is where my patients are generally where they start out. They might be pre-treatment or they might be at the start of their treatment and they're reacting to everything. And then she divided phase one into two parts. There's the restricted phase and then there's the semi-restricted phase. 
The restricted phase is a great phase to be in if you're that person who is literally reacting to everything. It's a very kind of limited diet. So it, there's not a lot of fermentable carbohydrates in that diet. There's only lemon and lime juice in a fruit component, no other sugar and limited amounts of specific vegetables, nuts and seeds. It's a great place to go as well if you find yourself having a big flare. So you can go back to the restricted phase, do that for a few days, let everything calm down and then expand the diet again. And when you feel like there has been some improvement, now it doesn't need to be 100% improvement, you might say, I'm about 40% improved from where I was. That's a great time to move into the semi-restricted phase of the diet. And that's where you incorporate some low carbohydrate, low sugar um, fruits. So it's so exciting. Things like strawberries and raspberries and blueberries come in. Specific quantities of other fruits like half a banana per serve, a quarter of an avocado, for instance, and just some increased quantities of other ingredients come in. And then again, once you feel like you are a bit more improved, again, you're not looking at um, 100% resolution of your symptoms, but just an improvement, then you can move into phase two of the, of the biphasic diet. And that's where you have a higher carbohydrate load. Um, some other grains are incorporated. A little bit of alcohol is added in at that time. Some aged dairy in things like pecorino and parmesan cheese. Uh, and it's a really great place to get to. It's also a stage of the diet that is commonly used by practitioners when somebody is in the treatment phase. Uh, the theory being that if we eat a little bit more broadly with our carbohydrates, we're not starving out the bacteria, they're still being active little critters, and they're more susceptible to being killed by the SIBO treatment protocol. Now, the biphasic diet has also been designed so that phase one could be followed for four to six weeks. Phase two, again, can be followed for four to six weeks with a maximum of um, six months on the protocol. It's the diet I followed when I first did my SIBO treatment, and it's what I've written my cookbooks um, based off. I really liked it because I really like structure and I like rules and I like to be told what to do, when to do it. And I just liked the fact that I could look at the list and follow it. Then the third SIBO diet that's been designed specifically with a SIBO patient in mind is the low fermentation diet by Dr. Mark Pimentel. Now, this is the most relaxed diet out of the three that I'm talking about in this category. Uh, Dr. Pimentel does allow for things like white bread and, and some gluten and dairy on his protocol. Uh, and so that can often seem quite strange if you've been following a much more restricted diet. Uh, I would say with the low fermentation diet that that works well for the person who has mild symptoms who is wanting more freedom and flexibility with their diet, who perhaps hates being told what to do. They want to be able to choose the food. Um, and it's more of a guideline rather than, you know, here's a list of foods and follow that. But again, it's designed to be a short-term therapeutic support to help calm your symptoms down. So which one would you pick? Well, 
it's really up to you. I always say to my coaching clients, where do you feel drawn to? Look at all three of those diets, and I've got links to all of them in the show notes so that you can go and check them out. Um, Check out those diets and see, like, does one feel like it resonates more with you? Do you feel like, oh my gosh, that does not suit me at all? Like you will probably feel like you're more compelled to move towards one or two of those diets than the other. And there's no right or wrong. What I will say is follow one protocol at a time. Don't try and blend the low fermentation diet with the biphasic diet, with the low FODMAP diet, with the fast track diet, because you will literally drive yourself insane. And I tried to do it myself. So I speak from experience in that regard. Just pick one diet and stick with it. See if it works for you. You'll know pretty quickly if it's giving you results or if it's not. If it's not, put it to one side, look at one of the other diet protocols and follow that. Now with all of these diets, they are intended to be a guideline. You will probably look at some of the foods that are listed and think, I know I react to that. You don't have to eat the food that's listed if you know you've got a problem with that food. So eat to what you can. Likewise, there might be something that's not listed that you know you're absolutely fine with. And so in the same vein, if you know you can eat that food, eat that food. Even if it's not listed on the protocol, that's okay. Now, when I say eat that food, I am talking about whole food, real food. I'm not saying go down and have a McDonald's burger and fries and a huge drink of Coca-Cola. No, I'm talking about if you can have a pear, even though it's listed as a high FODMAP food and you've got zero symptoms from it, enjoy the pear. Because let's remember, food helps calm our symptoms. It's not going to bring SIBO back. It's not going to make SIBO occur in the first place, unless, of course, we get food poisoning, and that's a whole different story. But just eating good, healthy, nourishing food as close to source as possible and as real as its version as nature created it, that is what we're going for. Good quality, natural food that wasn't created by a person in a lab coat in a factory. So there we have the three diets that have been developed specifically for SIBO. And from the biphasic diet, we've also got the the newer versions, which is for vegetarians, and then also a histamine protocol as well. So they're great for people that are avoiding animal protein uh, and those who are having histamine challenges. But those diets have all been developed specifically with SIBO in mind. So what are some of the other diets that people follow that aren't specifically for SIBO but might actually provide some support? Well, the first one and probably the most commonly followed diet is the low FODMAP diet by Monash University, my fellow Aussies here in Australia from Monash Uni. That diet was designed for people with IBS or irritable bowel syndrome. Now, we know that most people with IBS are actually experiencing symptoms because they've got an undiagnosed case of SIBO. So the low FODMAP diet restricts this particular group of fermentable carbohydrates, short chain carbohydrates that are found commonly in foods and 
that you then pull them out temporarily and then you start to reintroduce them. And the intention is that you determine, are you um, sensitive to one, two or all of those carbohydrate groups? Um, Is it perhaps that your gut just needs some extra support to digest digest them and process them or is there something like SIBO in the way that's causing a lot of these symptoms because these are carbohydrates that the bacteria can consume and then create the gas. The low FODMAP diet I think works really well for the person again who has less severe symptoms uh, and the person that hates being told what to do because you can download the low FODMAP app on your phone by Monash University. There is a fee to it, but it's a great uh, investment because that's where that is the trusted source of truth of all things low FODMAP. So rather than looking on a blogger's website and seeing an out of date list in terms of items and then quantities that are considered low FODMAP, pay the $10 or whatever it is to download the low FODMAP app and then Monash University keep that up to date as every time they do research and and further studies around foods. Uh, I use it all the time. I'm forever checking it for um, FODMAP quantities. Uh, It's a really great resource. It's also really great for the person who's vegetarian or vegan and who does need to look for alternative protein sources outside of animal protein. Um, I think one of the downsides of the biphasic diet in its original form is that it's very meat heavy and people do find themselves just really eating a lot of meat and minimal vegetables and moderate fat because that's you can eat unlimited amounts of protein, animal protein on the biphasic diet. Whereas uh, if you're vegetarian and vegan, that's really challenging. And I'll let you in on a little secret, guys. I'm currently writing my next cookbook, which is all for SIBO, people who are vegetarians and vegans. Hooray! So that's coming out in the near future. Uh, If you'd like to know more about my SIBO for vegetarians and vegans cookbook, by all means, drop me an email and I'll happily keep you in the loop um, when that book uh, is available. So send me an email at Rebecca at thehealthygut.com. So the low FODMAP diet, I think, can be really great. There's a lot more resources available on just general low FODMAPs uh, and low FODMAP cookbooks and recipes and blogs and all the rest. So that can be a great place to start if you just don't know what to do. Um, The low FODMAP app uses a traffic light system, so it can also be a great way for you to gauge What's my personal threshold would threshold with the FODMAPs? Uh, do I have to just stick within the green section? Can I challenge myself to use some of the amber-coloured quantities or food items? And then when it comes to reintroduction of foods like life beyond SIBO, then looking at what are those classifications in the red zone that I can actually tolerate. The GAPS and the SCD diet um, – can also be used by people with SIBO. Uh, I think they can both be beneficial, but they're not designed specifically with SIBO in mind. So there are pros and cons to using them. I think if you're just starting out and you want something to 
to as a pinpoint, sure, you could try them. They do reduce the carbohydrate load. Um, the GAPS protocol particularly uh, can be useful if you're wanting to take your whole family on the journey and a gut healing journey. Uh, and it can also really help children where there might be a brain gut connection like kids with autism or um, some behavioral issues that is related to food. But I will always say, get the gut assessed Find out what's going on at the core root of gut issues rather than just trying to mask with food. But eating a whole food, real food diet is always going to be beneficial for everybody, no matter what the underlying issues are underneath. The fast-tracked diet is another really interesting diet protocol, and that's by Dr. Norm Robillard. Now, that diet was developed by Dr. Robillard specifically after his own experience with years and years of debilitating reflux and heartburn where medication just wasn't working. And he went and studied the fermentation potential of a whole range of different foods and realized that the higher the fermentation potential, the more likely it was that he would experience this debilitating heartburn. So he came up with a theory around keeping your fermentation potential daily um, points, accumulating the points that you eat in, in your food across the day to a certain level, then can help calm and uh, reduce some of these really debilitating symptoms. Now, he has worked um, since developing this protocol with SIBO patients and has told me that he's actually seen some great recoveries from those really dig horrible digestive symptoms as people have moved to a low fermentation um, on the fast-tracked diet specifically. Uh, I've also got an interview with Dr. Norm Robillard, which I really recommend you take a listen to. It's all the way back in episode 18, back in season one. So scroll, scroll, scroll back through my podcast feed. But it's really uh, interesting to hear about the protocol, how it works. And if you're someone that suffers from LPR or heartburn, or reflux, um, then I strongly recommend you check that one out as well. And Dr. Norm Robillard has also written several books, which you can find on Amazon. And then there's other broader kind of, I guess, more general ways of eating, uh, such as the carnivore diet, a ketogenic diet, a paleo diet, a gluten-free diet, a dairy-free diet, um, a whole foods diet. Uh, all of them can be useful, particularly if your SIBO symptoms are mild. Um, what I'd say about the carnivore diet is, I, I know people that go on to that because their symptoms are really bad. Now, like I said before, get to the core root. Why are your symptoms so bad? Why is your gut failing so much to allow those symptoms to become such a problem for you? What I don't want is for you to get to a point where you can never eat a plant-based substance again because you actually haven't solved the problem by only eating a meat diet. And you are starving out such important bacteria by not fueling them. And you can actually overfeed some of the less desirable colonies by having too much animal fat and too much protein. Our bodies really do enjoy a good diversity. And, and you know, if we think about it in the sense of farming, like a monoculture crop 
is really bad for the environment, whereas a nice, healthy rainforest with thousands of different species is so much better for the planet and it's what we want to achieve in terms of diversity in our gut. And we can get there and we can help achieve that by feeding our microbiome a nice, diverse range of food. One of the side effects of eating for a SIBO diet can be really reconnecting with your body, learning what are the signals that you get after eating food, how do you feel after eating food, and really watching yourself develop and evolve as you can start to bring food back in. And that is such an exciting time. My food and mood diary is a great place to start, particularly if you're feeling quite confused over I don't know what I'm eating. I don't know if it's causing me issues. So click the link in the um, resources section because you can download that. It's a PDF download. You can print it out and scribble all over it. You can write in it in a PDF um, viewer like Adobe Acrobat PDF. Uh, And it's a great way to track what you're eating and then how you're feeling. And it's one of the things that I really loved about my own experience, you know, in those early days with SIBO, I finally connected what I was eating and how I was feeling. And now I've got a really improved relationship and a two-way dialogue between my body and myself. So we've talked about a SIBO diet. When should you start a SIBO diet is a question I get asked all the time. And it's really up to you. You actually don't need to do a SIBO diet to have a successful treatment with SIBO. You could eat just general healthy food and still have a really great outcome. Um, When I relapse with SIBO, because that happens about once a year, I generally don't go into a SIBO diet unless I'm having a really big flare. I'll temporarily, like for a few days to a week, pull back on foods and then I'll just go back to eating broadly, healthily and as many foods as I want. So it's your choice between you and your practitioner as to whether you follow a SIBO diet. And it probably sounds a bit funny given I'm the woman that wrote the world's first SIBO cookbooks. Um, And I think it's important we have good, healthy, wonderful, delicious recipes when we want to eat in a SIBO way, but you don't have to. So you can follow the SIBO diet during treatment. Just make sure you're getting enough carbohydrates in so that you're not starving out the bacteria and putting them inadvertently into a hibernation state. We want them to be active when we're trying to kill them. They're more susceptible to being killed if we're feeding them and keeping them happy little critters. And then after treatment. That can be a really exciting phase. That's where it comes into that food reintroduction and rediscovery phase. The goal is to get you eating as broadly as possible. Now, that doesn't mean to say that you go out on day one straight after your SIBO treatment has ended and go and eat the smorgasbord at your local restaurant. I work with my clients on a very slow and steady and methodical approach to bringing food in. We often start with what do they want the most? Like I said to them, listen to your body. Where are your cravings? And they might say, you know, I really want to be able to eat cauliflower. I haven't been able to eat cauliflower for a while. And I'll say, great, let's start reintroducing that. And we'll start small. We'll start at maybe like a teaspoon or a half a teaspoon and slowly build our way up from there. 
you might not be able to start at a full portion size when it comes to just starting to reintroduce foods. And that's okay because even a half a teaspoon is enough to trigger the body and to be like, oh, there's this new food I haven't had for a while. It's it's kind of making the digestive enzymes be like, oh, we don't know how to work with you. We've got to get back on track with this. Um, it's feeding the bacteria in the in the large intestine. So it's still doing a job at, at re-engaging the body to get on with the program, which is to be able to tolerate this new food. Now, it might take you weeks, even months to get to the point where you ultimately want to get to but it does not mean you won't get there. And I really encourage you to listen to last week's episode with my wonderful coaching client, Leslie, who shares how one of the, her goals was to be able to eat out at a restaurant. And so we started challenging onion and garlic because they're so commonly used in restaurants. And I'll let you know, guys, I can eat onion and garlic so easily now. I can even eat it raw. And for many of you, that will just seem like the most impossible thing ever, but it is possible. You can eat those more challenging foods once your gut is healed or healing and your body is in a much better state to be able to accept those foods. So I hope that gives you hope that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And if you need help with your diet, obviously that's one of the services that I provide as your SIBO health coach. And I regularly work with my clients around that food reintroduction phase, developing recipes and meal plans that are specific for them so that they can you know, get the support that they need at that one-on-one -on -one level. So if you'd like to know more about my SIBO coaching services, or even if you'd like to join one of my five-week challenge groups and we dive all into SIBO nutrition, um, we spend a whole week talking about food, uh, then just head to thehealthygut.com and you'll be able to learn more about my one-on-one -on -one coaching and also my five-week challenge. And coming up with my next round, we're currently in a, in a round and then I've got a new course starting and we're going to be focusing all about the holiday season. And that's so that you can enjoy Thanksgiving and Christmas and any other special holidays that you celebrate at the end of the year and eat delicious, wonderful food that is going to work for your gut because it's really important that when we get together with our families, it's been a really tough year this year. I want you to be able to enjoy a really lovely array of food as well. So there you go, guys. There's my information all about SIBO diets. What is a SIBO diet? What isn't a SIBO diet? Uh, I hope you found our 100th episode of the Healthy Gut Podcast useful. We're almost at the end of our season three. I can't believe it has almost come to an end. And we've take the season out as we started it with the wonderful Dr. Alison Seebecker in our final season episode next week. 
episode 101. Uh, so I do hope you tune in next week for that episode with Dr. Seebecker. If you would like to see it recorded live, we're actually going to be recording that on the Healthy Gut Facebook page uh, this Friday or Thursday evening if you're in the US. So make sure you follow the Healthy Gut on Facebook so that you can see the notification for when that event goes live. I look forward to bringing season four to you sometime in 2021 and I look forward to bringing our final season episode to you next week. You've been listening to the Healthy Gut Podcast with your host, Rebecca Coombs. To learn more about the Healthy Gut or our podcast, head to thehealthygut.com forward slash podcast. We would like to thank Red Lemon Productions for the production and original music score of this podcast. To find out more about their services, head to redlemonproductions.com. The Healthy Gut Podcast is a production of The Healthy Gut. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.